I have had that stupid music going through my head for about the last two and a half weeks. And uh, I caved. And for the first time in about 30 years, I now own a Nintendo because thanks to people like Noam Blum and Neon Taste and others, uh, I, I found the new Zelda game irresistible. So I caved. And that is, of course, the theme music, which kind of led me to do the whole thing. I saw a trailer for it. I, I, I haven't played any of the Zelda games or uh, the Nintendo Switch or anything like that. And then in the new trailer, I thought, oh, okay, that's that's kind of cool looking. And they had the music, and it just, like, it, it hit, like, 13-year-old me. And uh, if you were one of those kids of the, the 80s or stuff when Nintendo came out, it really wasn't Super Mario. It was maybe a little bit of Metroid, but it was mainly Zelda was the reason that we all stopped uh, going outside and getting on our bikes and falling on our heads. And so I thought that would be kind of a fun thing to jump on tonight. Welcome back. It's been a while. It's episode 101. We're now officially through the looking glass of 100 episodes, so now we can just kind of kick back, try to relax, and enjoy the beginning of uh, election silly season, which CNN, of course, kicked off this week. And so uh, I, I haven't played Zelda yet. That's the thing. It's going to be my, my weekend project. And so anyone who's gotten into Tears of a Kingdom or whatever, if you have any hints or tips for uh, like a, a virgin Nintendo player or whatever, let me know. Um, back to kind of the topics at hand. Uh, I just planned on this being kind of a two-week or a week wrap-up. Um, we obviously saw CNN's overwrought apology for the Trump Town Hall, which I haven't really commented on on podcast for purposeful reasons, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, but nothing really topped Anderson Cooper apologizing to his audience like his network just aired an ISIS beheading video. Um, you're going to obviously see more of this, and the, the media is suddenly going to start to wrestle with when politicians suddenly lie again. Um, there's obviously the case in New York of the beloved street-performing Michael Jackson performer who was innocently snuffed out by an overzealous white supremacist Marine. Uh, we also have... Uh, a new CEO of Twitter. And I, I know I was a little late getting the podcast up tonight, but um, I, I think she's a fascinating choice for not reasons that you see a lot of people on the political right going after old videos about uh, DEI and masks and vaccines and any of that kind of stuff, as well as now the media and the left are going after her because apparently she's a Republican. And so uh, I'll kind of leave that to the pot. I think she's a fascinating choice because I think it gives away exactly what Elon Musk is going to do with Twitter. And it also has to do with Tucker Carlson landing on that platform. And I think that that is the point. I think the point is he's going to attempt to turn Twitter now into a streaming platform with programming that rivals Fox, rivals CNN. And I think the hire of her, what's what's her name again? Laura, 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 where is I have it here? Laura Yaccarino. Um, I think gives that all away. She helped launch Peacock. She helped Universal, uh, NBC Universal with ad and advertising sales. And I think that that's her goal is to basically bring large advertisers back into Twitter and reassure them that, no, this is not a white supremacist platform, <laughs> while also trying to rein in uh, her owner. So I think it's a fascinating choice about what it says in media, not what her personal politics or past statements are. And so that was kind of, I think, that's something that kind of flew a little bit under the radar. And, of course, I think the biggest story right now of the year is the catastrophe on the southern border. And as I also talked about in the podcast today, I think this is 
I think right now this is the story of the year. This is something so big that not even kind of media can spin it. So they're not even trying. They're just kind of ignoring it. Biden administration's ignoring it. They're just standing here. Oh, there's nothing we can do about any of this. Come on in, folks. And I struggled to kind of find the words for it, just the sheer volume that you're seeing. We, we've never seen something like this. I know we've seen caravans and we've seen groups coming across the border, but we've never seen something of just this sheer amount of people in volume. And I also think that that, you know, it's it's kind of the fuck around and find out graph of uh, the, there's more of these thousands of these people. And yet the response coming out of the Biden administration is completely muted. There's just they're they're acting like they are helpless bystanders to all of this. And I actually think if there's one issue that it, it's it's going to hurt him almost as much as Afghanistan. And I do liken this to Afghanistan. I think the optics are very similar. Uh, migrants handing their babies to border officers over barbed wire fences, uh, migrants running through checkpoints. Um, we don't have the optics of migrants falling off the wheel wells of C-130s yet, but give them a few days. And I think that this is going to hurt Biden uh, just as much as Afghanistan did, because once again, he's an absentee president. He's nowhere to be found talking about any of this or anything. The last thing that he came out in public and talked about uh, I think was the airline junk fees. And I know he had an event yesterday, but he doesn't take questions. And the larger the events are, and the more that he doesn't take questions, the more it looks like he shrinks. And so those are kind of, I think, the three big things happening in media. And of course, the release of the, the Zelda game. So uh, again, I just kind of want to keep it on topic, just a week in review. Um, I know we just, we had, we, <laughs> we had a marathon two weeks ago of our 100th uh, episode Clown Car Spectacular, and then I was sick last week. So a lot to catch up on. Uh, I know a lot of people probably have thoughts. So uh, we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, probably go for about an hour or so. Uh, we'll see, depending on how many callers we have back there. Um, but just uh, laying the ground rules as usual. Just be mindful of people in the queue behind you. Um, please mute your microphone if you're not speaking. It just makes it easier for me. I, I just get very distracted with it. It's more of a me thing, not a you thing. And uh, it also just makes it better for the uh, uh, published recording. Just once again, these are published. Um, keep in mind as you're speaking or if you're telling stories or whatever like that, that uh, the, there are audiences that want to listen to this. And so we want to keep things kind of moving at a little bit of a brisker pace. Think of it as just another podcast. And so try to kind of stay on the topics at hand and just so everyone can get through. So once again, thanks everybody for uh, jumping in here. Um, I'm going to kind of usurp the order here. Uh, Matt, good to see you again. Go ahead. I didn't think you're, I was going to go first. How you doing? See, I'm keeping you on your toes. I always do this. You should, you should know that by now. And I know you you and I have much different opinions on the border, but I would surmise that you're not like turning into a build the wall guy, but you're probably being like, yeah, maybe this is bad. I I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm not. And I talk about this on the podcast. I'm not a build the wall guy. I'm not opposed to one. Let me put it that way. I just kind of take the Bill Burr uh, stance of it's impossible to actually do. Um and so I'm not necessarily opposed to an actual physical barrier. Um, I just you'd have an easier time filling the Rio Grande with alligators. And even Trump suggested that at one time, believe it or not. Um, and so I'm not turning into that. I think how I look at this is I'm not even looking at this through like a political lens. I think this is like 
a humanitarian lens. These people are being promised things by the Biden administration in conjunction with the Mexican government. They're being promised jobs and and a great life. And then they get to like El Paso and they're sleeping out in the cold on the street. And they might look at that as just part of, you know, what comes with making that journey. And, you know, I, I do I do empathize with anyone who makes a trek from Venezuela to South Texas. It's not easy. It's dangerous. Obviously, there's traffickers and things like that. Um, but again, the sheer enormity of people is impossible to ignore. The last time we saw something like this, of course, and I talk about this on today's episode, was the, you know, 100 or so migrants packed under that Texas overpass. And the media completely ignored it. They were just, no, we're not going to pay attention to this. They're out in sweltering heat. They're starving. They're dehydrated. And then that's when we had the whipping migrants with horses incident. And that's when they all shifted their attention to that. And that was the shiny object. And I think they're kind of waiting for something like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't, I would not give a limb to be in any shoes of any border official right now. They're, I think there was one on record saying that, they're no longer enforcing border security. They're caretakers and they're dodging fucking gunfire amongst other things while they're down there. And so, and they're largely being ignored by their bosses at DHS and the Biden administration. So I'm not a build the wall guy, but this is something that landed squarely on Biden's desk. And once again, they're acting like they were caught off guard by it all. And um, I guess that's just how I look at it. I'm not even looking at this through, I'm looking at this through a humanitarian failure by the Biden administration. Um, I don't know where these people are supposed to go. They, they get on buses, they get on planes, and then we never hear from them again, unless they land in a progressive city like Chicago or New York. Then it's a problem. And, you know, I don't cater to necessarily the they're putting all of these people on voter rolls. But if Democrats don't want people thinking that, they should probably be welcoming these people in with open arms instead of saying, no, you actually still belong in Texas. And so I think that right now this is the story of the year. I know it's only May. Oh, it but... is the story of the decade. I mean, in, in not to, in, in not that this is great replacement theory and all that, but when you import... There, there are African-American civil rights leaders in Chicago saying yes. that this is replacement theory. <laughs> <laughs> when you import 2 million people into the you know center of the country and in urban areas or where places where you can be automatically registered to vote by getting a driver's license, and you don't need to be a U.S. citizen to get a driver's license, which is a policy in many states. Um, this, I, this to me, I've, I've kind of be, almost become a single voter issue guy. This, to me, is terrible. Um, I think you're right. It's Afghanistan, but, like, on our own, own homeland. And it's not just the humanitarian crisis, which it is. It is... Um, I don't want to say I, I will, I do think it's kind of intentional and then you react, then the reaction is, okay, now we're trying to actually be aggressive and fix it. But the intention was we want to let people in for whatever reason, if it's to get more votes or if it's to play term places bluer or to import cheap labor, which I think we've always had a kind of a controlled chaos at the border where it's like the Koch brothers were kind of like, Hey, yeah, we we don't we're not border hawks because we kind of want the cheap labor to come in, and I think there's that history of the U.S. But right now, this is able-bodied men. This isn't women handing their babies over the barbed wire to border agents. That's part of it, 
but it's men from hundreds of countries coming here, China, Russia, the cast, you know, Uzbekistan, all, all of the, you know, Latin America um, countries, and there's no plan. And our government resources are going to support these people with healthcare and housing and education. And I think over time, this is going to really, I, I think people really don't understand the impact of how this is going to have on our country. And the last thing I'll say is I think we've stopped giving a shit as a country in many ways. Like we stopped k- taking care of ourselves. We stopped taking care of our cities. We've stopped policing and fighting crime and cities and places are degrading. And this is, this is just part of that kind of like, yeah, we, we w- aren't enforcing the things that we should to ensure sovereignty of our country. What, what do you think you, you said that this is purposeful. So Put yourself put put yourself in the Oval Office without cameras with Biden and Jeff Zients and Neer Tanden yeah. and Susan Rice. What is the conversation they are having in your? Give me your kookiest, wildest conspiracy, uh, most logical. What what do you? What is the conversation they are having behind our backs about this? Like you say, it's purposeful. So pretend you're in that room. What are they saying? Why do you think this is election about 2024? Because I've I've heard that from people. I've heard that. This is a plan for Biden to try and flip Texas for 2024. Well, that yeah. that requires a lot. I mean, that yeah. requires getting these people on voter rolls in a hostile state. Um, and so I don't know if I buy that, but I just want to hear other people's theories about this. So if you're in well, the room. Ob- Ob- Obama imported, not imported, but there <clears throat> Somali refugees, and he um, relocated them to red districts and um, a couple of Northeast states and this very high population of Somalian um, uh, re- refugees that were resettled, but they were kind of strategically put in states that were purplish, but into red congressional districts. Um, I don't think it's this like replacement theory that they blame Tucker Carlson for like talking about what she doesn't really talk about. But I think in that room, it's all right, we're not going to get any blowback from the really progressive wing of our um voting block. So if you let these people in, um, they're not going to leave us. I think it probably is part to do with the economy. You're importing a lot of cheap labor. You're, you, you know, importing, you know, people are coming here to do jobs that Americans don't want to do. And then, um, and then what, claiming people... that you created, you know, 10,000 <clears throat> jobs or whatever? Um, if, if you import lower wage people, it's going to bring potentially costs down from a service standpoint. So um, if you're hiring cheap labor to work in hotels and restaurants and you don't have to hire W-2 people, um, then maybe kind of helps from a, a, an inflation standpoint. I think there's an angle there. Um, I think there's this progressive, like, we're, we're not a closed border country. We, we have open borders. I think that there's that, like, where we are um, thoughtful and we want to help people. And I think part of it was we're going to allow these people to come to the border. We're going to help them. Um, and we're going to be loose about the asylum claims. And yeah, we're, we're a country um, that is compassionate. And I think there's that very like progressive, um, you know, sentiment towards this. So I think if there's an economic, I think there's a voter a- angle. And then I think there's just like the kooky, Oh no, we're, 
you know, we're the statue, you know, statue of liberty, you know, we, we let people in and blah, blah, blah. So do you think there's an equity angle that oh, we yeah. shouldn't have a border because we're on stolen land from 1619? And <laughs> man, I think that's I th- probably, I, th- I, think, to me, that I think that that's the most, if, if we're, if we're theorizing about, like I said, if Biden's sitting around swiveling in his chair with Kamala in the room and whatever, I think that that's probably of all the kind of theories that are out there. I think that that's probably the most logical of it. It's, you know, we shouldn't have a border. Um, we stole this land. So we're just going to let, you know, Hey, come on. It's, it belongs to you too. Funny you um, say that because they did their infrastructure week. And I was just catching up on some clips from the, from this um, press conference and his advisor, who I think is allocating the budget for the infrastructure projects. I think it's the former mayor of New Orleans or governor of Louisiana. And so he is kind of responsible for divvying up the money. And the question was, where's this money going to go? You know, he's, you know, the Biden administration has said that they want to fix up inner city areas because of, you know, infrastructure was racist. And the guy said, Joe Biden, and you can go find the clip, Joe Biden believes in equity. And their, um, you know, their fundamental principle of this administration is yeah, equity. I, I and so, yes, I think I right. don't think Biden believes in it because I don't think he has the first fucking clue what it all is. I do think the people around him, sure. in particular Susan Rice, Neera Tandon, Jeff Zients, I think they're all completely taken in by it. And they're t- basically saying that this is what we're going to do. And Biden just is happy to be here. Um, and so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's. It is interesting. And again, we have an administration that isn't giving any answers about anything. Jackie Heinrich noted today with Karine Jean-Pierre that they haven't even updated migrant deaths since January. And so there, there, there is a clear plan here to obfuscate what is happening. And I guess like my main point is like, I think the point what you said about we've just given up. I, I don't necessarily believe that on everything, but on this one, I, I it, it does feel like Matt Damon walking into his apartment at the end of The Departed on this, where... People are like this again. This comes down to just the sheer volume of it. it. It's so big and it's so massive that we couldn't even possibly stop these people if we wanted to, unless you open fire on them. And that's I mean, obviously not what I'm suggesting. Yeah, no. Um, and so I think with this, there there is that you know there is that apathy angle where it's just like fine, just fucking let them in because you can't prevent them from doing. It. And this that's what's interesting is we haven't even heard from Mayorkas or Biden or anybody or anybody in our government to say. Turn them away. Yeah. Turn them away. Well, no, they have asylum claims. Well, we know that larger part, most of the asylum claims are given to them by immigrant groups, activist groups, groups, you know, ACLU style groups where they say, hey, you, you don't have to jump the fence and run into the desert. All you have to do is cross the river, walk up to the highway, walk up to a border patrol agent and say, asylum. And they have they are legally bound to put you in the car and take you in and process you. And that's what they figured out. And I, that was largely started under Obama, where they just said, why don't you just tell these people to claim asylum? OK, let's go do that. I don't know. Rain flyers over a coyote trail, you know, in Guatemala. And that's essentially what they're doing. So until you change the asylum law, you can sit there and say, we know that the majority of you aren't seeking asylum. We know, OK, if you come from Venezuela, eh, probably you can make that claim because of the United States relationship with Venezuela. You can make the claim with Cuba, although we turn Cuban refugees back when they hit Florida. Um, 
and so you can make those claims, but we know until you change the what the meaning of asylum means. Uh, yeah. they, they've told him all you have to do is come up and claim, you know, climate is now something that's taken under asylum. Uh, it's just too hot in Guatemala, and now you're taken into fucking Texas where for, it's 113. From, from my understanding, spousal abuse is also uh, yes, oh, yeah, yeah. No, they, and they know, so they're informing migrants of what you need to say yeah. when you get over the border, as opposed to just saying turn around and go back. There's not a single person anywhere other than Greg Abbott who stay, who stationed the National Guard at some spots where there's razor wire. That's a that's a photo op. I mean, you have National Guard troops. Unbelievable. And you have migrants walking up to razor wire and the National Guard is just saying, you guys need to go somewhere else. They're not even telling them to turn around and go back. They're just saying, find somewhere where it's not us because it, we're not letting you through. And that's an optic that the media is waiting for. They're waiting for a national guardsman that Abbott deployed to be like pulling a migrant over razor wire. And there's their photograph. And that's all they need. And then Biden can come out and say, this isn't who we are. Greg Abbott should be ashamed of him. And that's all they're playing it for. And so far, I think Republican governors and border states, Abbott, DeSantis, and I think a lot of these mayors are wise to this. And I certainly think Border Patrol is wise to it. They're saying, guys, don't even give the impression that you are like, hitting a migrant with a whip okay don't even fucking do that and so these guys are just standing aside and they're like all right come on in and i think, I think, if, you, I think if you go back and talk about like the, the think about the from a voting standpoint i mean our last two elections have been determined by you know 2016 was what sixty thousand votes the yeah most 2020, one was, 2020 was about forty four thousand votes through four states and, and if you have you know, I don't know how many people can actually vote. Like, I know there's some, you know, but over time, I think you said in your podcast, or, or, or I, I think maybe in your podcast, like they're dream. You know, this is the this is the block of dreamers. So eventually, these people they're going to try to give you know, um, give citizenship to to the dreamers, and then the, that's a massive blo- voting block. And or they get they get they get birthing citizenship rights. Yeah. Um, which I know is a huge point of contention. I push back on a lot of that because as we're seeing these, especially in the last midterm, the last presidential election, last midterm, Democrats lost seats and they lost ground in border communities. And as I've said, if Trump's shenanigans did, you know, if his election shenanigans did anything, they, they overshadowed how bad of an election that was overall for Democrats in 2020. Um, they didn't pick up any seats that they were supposed to pick up. They they were they were pretty much for the most part stopped. I know that I know that changed in 2022. But when you go back to the presidential election 2020, um, that was uh, if you put if you took Donald Trump off of the ballot, if you took him and put him aside, um, that was a bad election for Democrats. So you had border communities that went more red. There was more pickups by Republican reps, and that's why I'm kind of against this. You know, demographics or destiny. Uh, it's, to me, it's not true because to me, at least, Hispanic families carry traditional conservative values. They're religious. They're big family. They're mostly just blue to lower class collar workers. That's not to say that there are those who come in and get on the dole and get on, you know, we're going to get Medicare. And we're going to get on SNAP and we're going to do all this stuff. But for the most part, they're hardworking people. As someone who worked in hotel for seven years, I can tell you they're some of the hardest working fucking people that I've ever been around in my life. Um, I wish I had more employees when I was when I was overseeing that stuff like like them because they are. And so 
Um, I just I, I look at it and I go, you should be able to win these people over. If you want to come, great. Um, but um, the Democrats have to be taught that you can't just count on them as a voting block. And that's what's interesting for me, what's happening in Chicago with the civil rights leaders. They're sitting there saying, you're replacing us. You're trying to replace us. And I also think what's behind that is what happens if you replace the African vote in Chicago with maybe traditional conservative voters in Chicago that are Hispanic? And so that's why I don't cater to the Donald Trump and Coulter wing of, you know, as soon as these people enter the country, they're automatically Democrats. I don't believe in that. And I don't know how much Ann Coulter believes in it either, because it's if, you, if Ann Coulter is someone, and I talk about this example specifically, if you believe your ideas are righteous, if you think that you're right, then you shouldn't be worrying about whether or not they're going to become Democrats. You should be able to convince them pretty easily. So there's a lot of issues there. And, and uh, Matt, thanks for jumping off. I appreciate it. But um, good thoughts on the board. Uh, I'm going to bump a first timer up. Uh, Katie. Uh, this Friday night sausage fest. So, uh, Katie, you're up. Feel free to just hit the mute button on your microphone there, um, at the bottom there, and you're up. Hi. Currently, okay. Uh, currently, I am in junior high teacher at a rural Texas district, and next year I am transitioning to teaching ESL students. And in one way, I look at this transition as a job security Real role, fast, explain what ESL is. It is teaching English language, English language learners. So gen generally, a, students who may or may not be students of illegal migrants who are in the public school system, and you're basically teaching them English and they're just your students. You don't really care about their immigration. You don't care about any of that stuff, but they're just basically uh, m students of migrants. Uh, in Texas, yes, but we also serve people who have different backgrounds it, from right. Vietnam, right. Mm -hmm. so on and yeah. so forth. So but just, yes, so the just, majority just, of our... Not, like, not, not suburban white kids is basically what we're... No. Um, so, of course, I'm born and raised in Texas, very proud, but um, I just, my question to you is, what is going to be the point where something will be done about the border? Earlier in with Matt, who spoke about the buses and the vans. I live in a part of Texas that I have seen those going through my community. What, what, and when, you, sure when you say real fast, when you say rural Texas, you don't have to give me your exact location, but give people an idea of what rural Texas means. Are you in a small city? You're in a small town. Uh, is it something like El Paso? Is it Lubbock? Like in, so, just help people understand exactly what you mean by rural Texas. Cause it's a big state. Yes, sir. And so you're 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 someone that I'm I'm glad that I get to hear from because like I said one of the points of doing Colin is um, I'm not sitting here interviewing someone and listening I'm I'm hearing from people like you who are are directly affected with what's happening so kind of kind of give as much information about like when you say you you teach ESL in a rural Texas area help people understand exactly what rural Texas means what the demographics of where you live are what you're seeing and so I live in Northeast Texas. I currently live in a 
what we would call city. And what I mean by city is I live in a city of about 90,000 people, but I travel every day about 20 minutes outside of the city into a town of 5,000 to teach. And we serve about 450 students in a seventh and eighth grade campus. Um, we are about 85% socioeconomically disadvantaged at my school. We have all of the students are on free and reduced lunch. Um, that does not count for teachers, though. We still have to pay $5 for a lunch. Um, and we serve about 50 ESL students currently, but that has changed dramatically, or I think it it, we have added more students to our ESL population this year, and we have received people from El Salvador just in the last week um, who have said that they are refugees to be able to not have to go through certain testing that we as a district have to put them through. And so at your school, and I know you said that you're transferring, but I, I kind of want to just focus on this. So at your school, you basically get new students. You said seven and eight, so it's junior high. So they're coming up through elementary. Are they coming up through elementary? Is there any placement where it's like you have to come through elementary to be then placed into junior high? Or do you just get like 12-year-old kids placed into your class and you don't really know anything where they come from? So um, very good question. Let's see if I can be clear about this. So um, as a public school, we still have to take a child whether they know English or not. So we have some students that have entered into our school um, who, because of COVID, might not have been to a school in the last several years, whether they are from across the border or not. But um, we have some that by age, they have to enter at a certain grade level, no matter the background. And so they will be enrolled in. And, and that's like, this is just your new student, um, whoever they are. And I assume that there's limits. Is it, is it public school? Yes. It's not it like, is. it's not, so it's like an actual public school. It's not like a charter. No, or it's not like a, it is uh, a private school. Thing. We don't, we have more private schools in this area because I live in a more rural area of Texas. Um, private schools are starting to flourish a bit in this area, but public school is definitely still the main outlet for most students. Charters are not really in our area. There's a few in some of the more urban areas. When I mean urban, I'm talking about 90,000 to 100,000 uh, population that is within the 20 to 45 minute drive, but public school is still where it's at in Texas. Um, part of that has to do with athletics and football is still king in Texas. So uh, in public school dominates that. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to like think of anything that I would be asking someone in your position here. And I know, I know you like, you asked a question for me where you're like, um, what, what does it take to do something about the border? Um, can I, mean, I interject? I, Cause I just yeah. remembered one thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so 
I do know of some state troopers who have been sent down to the border and who have been told, hey, you're kind of like in charge of this area, but there's really nothing you can do um, if you really come across because then they have to take the illegal the migrants to the border officials. So even though they have been sent down to the border, many of them, there's really not much that they can do legally with trying to prevent immigration. Do you, do, do you get an idea? So if you're talking to your students and I don't, I don't know like what, how you teach them or whatever you teach or whatever like that, but do you get a sense like they are afraid or their parents might be taken away at any time or they might like they're afraid like ICE is going to come in and take them out of school? What, what are these kids like? Are they aware of their situation um, or is it just kind of like you're with them and they're normal students and they're just they're learning and they're happy and they play just like anybody else? Or you get do you get a sense of like what their home life is like or what their social status is like. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. Um, I'm a teacher that tries not to get too political in my classroom. I don't want get them out. to know. Get out. You're out of the room officially. Get out of here. I know. You, you, you don't even have a, you don't even have a BLM flag hanging in your room. <laughs> no, not one of those. I'm, I'm going to be transitioning from teaching history to ESL next year. Um, to eventually become a more, um, to become an administrator. But um, so my students, it's very interesting. Um, We have some on the very far right. We have some on the far left. Um, We have some Hispanics who are conservative. We have Hispanics who are more uh, left. Uh, This week, it was very interesting. I had students, um, ask a question or to tell me that they were against one of the bills that were being passed in Florida right now. It was anti-immigration. You had a, you had that, a student say that? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who had, who said that in Florida, they were passing a bill that was anti-immigration. If I asked, I was like, what is this bill? And I had two students who told me it was anti-immigration. They couldn't tell me what the bill was about. So I was like, okay, let me look it up. And I looked it up and I read what this bill proposed and um they were like well miss baker it sounds like you agree with the anti-immigration bill and i was like no 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 did you own his ass did you own your student's ass on that one (laughs) no no but i i just made sure that they understood listen one this is in florida so we don't have to deal with it but two here's the other point of view to where here's your thoughts here's the other point of view of that of course they're junior high they're teenagers. They think they kind of know it all. So um, I just like to open their minds a little bit to other points of view. <laughs> and I so, so do you, so when you, I, I would assume you hold conferences, you hold parent teacher nights, whatever. Um, are, are a lot of these parents also English second language? Are they are they second third generation Americans? So what's so what is that like when you talk to families? And, and are they worried about immigration? Are they worried about immigration laws or laws or anything like that in, in Texas or what? Um, I don't at the junior high level. We don't really have um, parent teacher conferences. 
unless there is grade trouble or a discipline trouble. Um, I have pretty good relationships with my students, not to brag or anything, but I don't have many behavior issues in my class. So um, I don't really come across a lot of students with like, hey, my mom and dad needs to talk to you. I don't really have those kind of issues uh, because it's just very clear what my rules and expectations are in class. Um, but you kind of, especially within the subject of history and what we talk about in American history from 1492 until 1877, many issues are brought up in class. And so a lot of these kids tend to believe what their parents believe. And so a lot of what the conversations that go on at home are brought from the dinner table to my classroom. And so I can kind of get a feeling of what those conversations have. I will say that um, I have um, worked with people in the school system that um, maybe their, whether it be students I've worked with or coworkers where their citizenship has um, had stipulations like because of things that Obama passed under DACA. I've had a coworker that has had to go through the process to continue the green card application. And she couldn't work at a certain point because she didn't know if this was going to get approved or not. So um, a lot of things that they have conversations with my students at home are brought quite a bit to class. Um, not to take too much time here, but in a couple of years ago when it was Trump versus Biden, I had students without putting Democrat or Republican or left versus right or even liberal versus conservative. We kind of broke down what certain viewpoints were and the kids had to kind of circle what their viewpoints were during the break leading up to the election <laughs> and the students, we would go through it. And eventually we, I would tell them kind of what side uh, uh, politically each of them were leaning and you could see kids erasing answers because it wasn't directly like it wasn't all Republican or it wasn't all Democrat. And so it was very interesting that they almost had a light bulb go off that said like, Hey, I might lean one way on this issue, but I'm, I feel a more left or more right on another issue. So it was just very enlightening and kind of for them to be able to see like, hey, I, I, can, I have a point of view. It doesn't have to be all one way or all the other. I think what's interesting is you said the community or the town or whatever is, you know, it's not, it's obviously working class or even below. It's economically not completely viable. Um, and you said how much you said it was what, like 5,000 people in this town? Yes. 5,000 people. Um, but we also get transfer students. Uh, we get students even from out of district that somehow fib a little bit. <laughs> They're allowed to come to our school versus a different school. But, um, our our campus or our district has built a brand new high school recently. And so that has brought a lot of kids to this community. 
also after COVID, shockingly, we were like, what's bringing people here? But we've had tons of people from out of state move to even our small part of Texas because of what they experienced during COVID. So it's just like everyone's coming to Texas. And I'm just wondering, when will that stop? Like, we're full. <laughs> uh, when California gets their shit together politically, that's that's when that stops. Um, I mean, as far as the border, and I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with like the teaching dynamics of ESL, and that's a personal story. I'm not going to go into it, um, but that's why I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious for you to kind of tell your story and your experience with it. Um, do, do, do you think these kids are at a disadvantage? Um, do you have students that are English is a first language mixed in with ESL? Or is it is it they're kind of sequestered into their own classrooms or help explain how that works? Because if it's a public school, I would assume you have students who English is their first language and then you have some that are not and they're mixed together in classrooms. And what 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 is that like as a teaching experience? So we do we have a mix. A lot of the ESL population is English is a second language. Also, we have parents who deny ESL services. So at my campus, ESL is a pullout program. So you will meet with them on a small group. I can't give you a ton of information on how it works because I'm transitioning to that role next year. Um, But as a classroom teacher right now, um, very a lot of my students who are ESL, very high achieving. They work extremely hard in class. Uh, but they have become more Americanized. They they still are, you know, they become more lazy through the through the years, just like their peers. Um, so it's not like, you know, they don't they like doing homework like they don't just like every other teenager. Um, that, that seems like, yeah, that seems like a program. kid thing. That doesn't seem like a. Yeah you know, a migrant parent thing that no. just seems like, you know, when that bell rings, I'm out of here. Exactly. Um, a lot of them, um, they, I have a, a ESL student who it wants to become a historian when he grows up. He wants to go to school forever to just learn more and more about history. And a lot of them are involved in extracurricular activities in athletics, in band, we um, my school has a great ag program that they're invested in, um, and other events and extracurricular activities. So, I mean, they blend in. We do have some kids who I believe are raised in a, as English as their first language. Some of parents push that a lot, and so many of not many some of my students don't speak a lot of Spanish because at home their parents really push English. But then you also have the spectrum of they only speak Spanish at home. And so it's very interesting because some of my, my ESL students, it's, it's remarkable to me, but they, I have students in one of my classes where they can flip between English to Spanish so rapidly and just within the same conversation, go from Spanish to English, Spanish to English, in a just continuous con- conversation that is really remarkable to see and witness. Um, 
I, I might be out of questions for grilling you. Um, okay. <laughs> no, it's and and I know like people like this kind of like you know with with my call-ins is it's like I, you have a question for me and I'm I'm way more interested in. Um, you know, I, I don't live in a border, I don't live in the border state. I don't, I'm not down there. Everything I see I'm, I'm consuming through media and whatever like that. And you're down here and you're looking at it. And basically what you're telling me is just like, you guys are overwhelmed, even in the public school system. And I think yes. what's interesting about that is Biden and Randy Weingarten, the fucking ghoul claim to all be for the public schools. They tell me for schools. But here, even you're right in these border states, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, you can even go up to Colorado, Oklahoma, California, those and I had a sub I had a I had a commenter on my podcast, a subscriber comment that these these systems that Democrats or whatever Biden claims to care about the most are the ones that get overwhelmed the most. And that's teachers like you, you're you're going through this where you just told me you have to. Um, quick question. Are you bilingual? Do you understand Spanish? So as an ESL teacher, you don't have to speak Spanish because you don't just teach Spanish speakers. But of course, the majority of my students will be Spanish. And so right now I'm going through a program to at least become conversational with Espanol. <laughs> That's good. I want to learn when they're talking about me or cursing. Yes. Um, well, I just no, want to so do that the, behind my back. So right. just not to my face. Um, yeah. I mean, but that's, but I mean, that's kind of like what I was getting at is so they claim to be for frontline responders and hospital workers, except it's, it's medical centers get overwhelmed from work accidents where they're probably not insured. And then it's obviously schools get overwhelmed, like you said, where it's, you know, you suddenly get a class where you're, you're dealing now with, um, I don't want to say native, but you're dealing with Americanized kids. Now you're de- now you have uh, migrant kids who their English is their second language, and you're having to teach two groups of people. And it's it's funny that this is a debate that they never have. They don't even care about it. They kind of and- just care. It's like come 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 in here, get here, um, either have birthright citizenship or whatever, and then we'll get your kid in the school system. But then their kids really aren't. Uh, I don't want to say Americanized because um, I don't know. That term kind of bothers me surprisingly as someone who's like a conservative libertarian. I'm not one of these like, you know, demand your, I am, a, I am an assimilation mm-hmm. person where it's like, if you're going to come here, you should respect our history. You should respect our culture. You should respect our cities. You should respect what we've done and what we've built that made you want to come here in the first place you shouldn't want to make it more like the shithole that you left. And that, that shithole, by the way, could be Venezuela or it could be San Francisco. Um, and so th- that's kind of how I look at this in the sense of, you know, people like you are just kind of pushed aside by say teachers unions or the administration that claims that they speak for you and they care for you. And so, well, like I said, I mean, what's when, when does this stop? I mean, I don't know. That depends on if you believe someone like Trump, who's like build a wall and they can keep everybody out, which is impossible. Um, the, the, the thing about the immigration system is interesting to me in the sense of we focus on the wrong problems. And that was always my problem with Trump and the build a wall person is because it's the wall isn't necessarily the biggest issue. The biggest issue is visa overstays. Um, it's, it's not really even the Southern border, although I would argue now, and this is, this comes back to just, like I said, the sheer enormity 
of people coming over the border right now. Like what happens to them? And like Matt said, you know, they get they get flown to districts and they get flown to certain cities. And I actually think that that's the bigger scandal. I think that the bigger scandal is not that they're crossing. It's that they get put on a bus and we never see or hear from them again. We don't. And nobody at this administration will answer, where's that bus going? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and you don't have journalists who are curious about where the bus is going, because I kind of think that they know where the bus is going and they're fine with it. And then you only find out where the bus is going or where the flight is going when it's a Republican governor landing them directly in like the Hamdens or Martha's <laughs> Vineyard or Chicago. Then it's a problem. And so, again, if you had a dutiful media, you'd know, hey, let's follow that bus and find out where it's going. And then they it probably goes to an airport or military base and then they're flown off somewhere. And then you say, hey, where's that flight going? Because every flight has to be tracked unless it doesn't. And the only person I've ever heard like bring that up was Marsha Blackburn. And the media looked at her and said, well, this is racist and this is bigotry here. So um, I don't I know like I'm a host of a of a of a podcast room and I'm a I'm a pundit and stuff like that. But I've also believed in never, never try to give someone an answer just because you sound smart. And honestly, I don't I don't know how you solve the border crisis. It's something that should have been solved 35 years ago, not today. Um but you're someone, like I said, that, you know, I didn't mean to put you on the spot and grill you or anything like that. But um, the, to me, this is the whole point of calling. The point of calling is to talk to people who are going through something directly who can say, hey, our media is lying. This is not the problem. This administration is lying. Um, I'm here on the ground witnessing what is happening with my own eyes. And I can strictly tell you for a fact that what you're reading, what you're seeing, what they're telling you is a lie. So I'll let you go after this. But along those lines, what is the thing that has kind of aggravated you the most about what you see in media or what you see from this administration? Like I said, that you just say this is a lie. This is not happening or this is happening and you're ignoring it. So what give me give me the biggest thing that you've seen in that sense of the word that when you live and work where you work and you do what you do, you you either flick on Twitter or you flip on internet and you just say, this is not what is happening or this is what is actually happening. It's not. So I know that I look at it and I get frustrated because of the dishonesty. Um, but in public schools, which I know that there's a lot of people in all 50 states right now that look upon public education negatively. And I understand the reasons why for that. But I will tell you that at least the districts that I have worked for in this small, rural, northeast Texas area, it is one of those, like, every day you show up, you know it could be different from the day before. And yet the kids that are enrolled that sometimes can't speak Spanish, or sorry, that speak Spanish only and can't speak any English, they, when once they're enrolled, it's not like they go to a separate classroom they enter the general education classes and then they are pulled out at different points for one-on-one or a small group instruction for them to learn english and to read write speak so on and so forth so it is a major burden on schools to provide the food the supplies and then just on the teachers themselves on how can I get this kid into my class and 
provide a good educational environment and opportunity for this child in all classes, electives, core classes, all of them. So it's just really irritating to know that from the dishonesty, from the administration, from the media, and how there seems to be no solution from either side, and that's not going to cut it if this continues. Thank you. Thank you, Katie, for that. Like I said, um, it's it's always great to kind of hear from people who, uh, like I said, are on the ground. That's why I do this. So um, you guys are gonna have to be patient. We'll probably I'll probably go about thirty minutes longer here. Um, I know I see a lot of my regulars here, but I also see some new people. So no offense, I'm probably gonna take newbies over you guys, and I may end up doing this maybe tomorrow. And so if you guys really need something to say, uh, I may do another episode. So um, I have someone I haven't seen yet in there. Uh, Megan with a big, dumb, dopey dog avatar or whatever. But uh, you're up. Go ahead and hit the mute button, whatever, if this is your first time. But Is it working? Hi, Steven. You're there. Hi. Um. I just wanted to comment on um, the being a teacher and ESL. Um, I can completely relate. And um, I feel like most states at the moment are- Why can you relate? Well, most states are at the moment experiencing, um, well, have been experiencing an influx of a lot of people from other countries. Um, and this has been going on for about 20 years since I started teaching. Um, and I have actually been teaching specifically ESL for the past eight years. So, um, what an episode. This is great. <laughs> uh, no, go ahead. Continue. I'm just being a smart ass. We have. Our district actually is one of the largest in the state, and we actually were sued for not providing proper services for those students. And so what was happening was those students were then being serviced in general ed classrooms, but teachers were not um, well-equipped to help those students. And when, when you say well-equipped, what do you mean? Um, well, at first there was a lot of, we had, Uh, uh, Colin's being dorky. Uh, Megan, you dropped off a bit. Maybe start over uh, with your answer. Sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry about no, that. No, it's not Can you. you. Hear me it's, now? I think it's the app. But go to start. Off. Okay. Okay. Um, we actually have uh students that are when this first started happening, it was students from um who, who were refugees. So a lot of these students would come in and not know how to be in the classroom. So they literally like would come in not wearing shoes at times, or um, a lot of them just had no idea about structure of a day or like, you know, let alone the language itself. It was like being things like that. So sorry, my phone went out. Um, so I would say like well-equipped in the sense of like 
teachers would have 29 kids and then get a student from another country and have absolutely no idea how to support that child. Um, and so they would have behavior problems or learning issues and um, no help. So it was uh, quite an issue for a while. And then the district then got sued. Um, and now there's more of a structure to the program. So we have like a separate class for teaching language specifically. And then um, it's called dedicated ELD. And then the kids go to embedded instruction. Uh, in what, it's, it's, it's called dedicated. What, what was the initial? ELD, so it's English language development, is the class specifically dedicated to those and kids. And how old are your kids? Um, I teach K-8, so I teach kindergartners up through eighth grade. And then I have like a middle school class that I teach all year. And um, sometimes we'll take the ELD classes from kinder, first, second, third, fourth. Um, so all ages, basically. And you, so, and, and same, same thing that I asked her. Um, you say kids are refugees, so I assume that also means their parents are probably migrants, aliens, whatever you want to call them. Do they have a sense of immigration status? Are they, are they coached on what not to say, you know, don't, you know, don't reveal that stuff or whatever, or do you, is that, is that, is that an issue in classrooms with kids? <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, we actually have just specifically this year, um, uh, family came here from another country and um, lied on the immigration paperwork about the ages of the children. And so um, now one of them is basically ready for high school, but is stuck in seventh grade um, because they listed that he was, I believe, like three years younger than he actually is. Um, and I think they were probably misinformed by somebody, you know, to say like, that's going to help that child. Um, so now they're dealing with lawyers and things like that to get that fixed. <laughs> so there are all sorts of things like, I mean, and that's, you know, that's not a rare thing to have happen. There are a lot of stories like that where, um, you know, or families are trying to adjust or like come you know, thinking that they need to do A, B, and C to help their child in the education system. And they end up harming them in the long run because of, you know, their understanding of what the education system is or what that means, you know. So there are a lot of, um, you know, I don't know, problems and issues that do arise with families, for sure. Is there a lot of teachers union involvement in this? I was, I was talking to her. I was talking to, I think, Katie, just a minute, And I was kind of curious about this. Like, as you see Randy Weingarten out there doing wild gestures, like she's a fucking 87-year-old Muppet or whatever have you, <laughs> do you feel like, like teachers unions are involved in any of this? Is there, is there any care here whatsoever when you talk? And you're at a public school too, right? Yes. And uh, so it's a public elementary school, right? It is, yeah. Okay. Um, I've been in public schools the my whole career, yeah. How, um, how, how long have you been working with English second language? My whole career. So 20 years and then specifically ELD, like teaching the class itself and running the department, I would say eight years. Did, did you set out to do that or did you just fall into that part of it? No, I fell into that. I wanted to work in inner city schools um, and then kind of fell into that 
when I was a teacher specifically for students who were um, coming from other countries. So I just felt like that was where I kind of wanted to go and take my career just because I fell in love with the families and I really liked the idea of being able to help them specifically outside of a classroom because it is very overwhelming as a general ed teacher to have like 15 kids that don't speak English. Um, and that's not like, a you know, that's not happening in every school, but I will say like there will be times where you'll have five new kids coming from completely different countries and you have no idea what to do with those kids as a general ed teacher and have all of your other kids to have to worry about. So it's, it can be very overwhelming as a general ed teacher. So I also wanted to do like that through an admin lens of supporting those teachers, um, you know, outside of the classroom and being an advocate for like this, this feels awful when you're in, when you're in the classroom and have absolutely no idea what to do with those students. Do you think this is a blind spot for the political right? I, and um, granted, I, I don't really know that... your politics. But I mean, Katie seems conservative, but do you think that? Do you think that teach when it comes to this? When it comes to immigrants come across the border, and and of course you get magoing like they took our gerbs or whatever, but they do come and they do have families or they do have kids and and then whatever, and then they're into the educational system. Do you think? Do you think that this is a blind spot for the political right when maybe you look at this and you say, like I've said, where it's um, these are traditional families. They have work ethics. They're religious. They're hard work. Like Katie said, these are hardworking students or whatever. Um, do you think that this is a blind spot for the political right? And it could either be Trump right or just the Republicans in general. Do you think that there should be more empathy here? Or do you think that, you know, you're kind of along the same lines of, you know, what is happening? We're letting in thousands and thousands of people or just from someone who's kind of a teacher on the ground level. Do you think that the political right, is this an issue that they need? They should, you know, at least have a more human. Um, I do think. Well, I, I think it's like, it's, it's hard, it's hard outside of the profession itself really to talk to anybody outside of it. It's, you don't really know until you understand what a day is like for a teacher. Um, and I don't really like place blame on either side of the political aisle and how they're approaching things. I think I, I do lean toward more right. Um, but I will say with the families that I work with, and this is also why I chose to do what I do is, um, they are, most of them are very hardworking and they are coming from countries where they honor education and teachers. And so, um, like my students from Africa, actually, they told me that they were like switched in schools with, on the wrist because, uh, like if they misbehaved, so they're just shocked when, you know, we have a dean that comes in and gives them like ice water if they're misbehaving and late to class. Like it's, it, they come in um, with a respect for education and um, their families are hardworking and do want to be here. So I do feel like there is kind of that notion of like a lot of these families are, you know, they just, they want to take advantage and that's not the case at all. Um, I will say like the, the kids that have, um, that are ESL, that are American, you know, are American who are from here, but they they speak another language who also are in ELD are a little less like motivated and, <laughs> and respectful. 
Um, but I do feel like that's kind of education right now in general is like, um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on with the system itself. Um, and teachers are getting the brunt of a lot of things that are happening politically. Um, and I will say, you know, the question about the union, I don't think that there's like a lot of involvement with the union and, uh, ESL per se, but I will say that I do see a lot of, um, just like this, this push for equity and not really understanding what that means or what that looks like. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like they're doing a lot more harm than good, obviously, but I think, you know, overall unions have, we're too top, like the, the schools are too top heavy and there's too much going on admin level and people are kind of losing sight of what the teachers are doing and how, how much they're struggling at the moment. So La- last thing, I don't, I don't know if you heard all of Katie's thing or whatever, what, as someone who's, it seems like you're in the exact same profession, which is like fucking crazy. That's funny. Um, <laughs> but what, what is the thing that she said that you just nodded to that you just said, I, you know, like, yeah, girl, this is something we would talk about if we met in person or if we knew each other, whatever. Um, what is the thing that she said that you related to the as a fellow teacher of ESL? I think we would probably drive as fellow teachers. Like we all do. Um, uh, when she said a lot of these kids are coming, you know, like they, they're pretty amazing and they, you know, they're pretty remarkable in the sense that they can like switch from one language to the other um, really quickly. They're quick on their feet. They work really hard. Um, uh, I, I don't know, like a lot of, it's funny. I mean, I, I feel like everything that she said, obviously, like when you're a teacher, <laughs> you just get it. Um, but it, again, too, it's really hard from outside you know, I'm really sorry for the audience that's listening, like outside of that, it's really hard to understand, like, um, how exactly it, like what, what exactly is wrong or like why teachers are always tired or why they're always, you know, saying the system is, has issues, you know? Um, so I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> no, it does. Last thing, uh, I'm getting yelled at in comments, which is, which is interesting because uh, I, I'm here to talk about people's experiences. I move callers at my own leisure. Thanks, Chris. Um, last thing, what what is that dumb, dopey dog in your picture? Uh, that is my golden retriever. His name is Finn, and he is he's my favorite. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to like delay now that I'm so here, here's Oh, are people yelling? I know. No, like, no here's the thing, but here's the thing people it. need to know is when you <laughs> yell at me, when you yell at me to move. And the funny thing here is I was going to look at moving Christopher up to the front of the line, but when you yell at me to move callers faster, um, I, I know I said to be pithy, but it's a conversation. And when I get, to, when I literally get two, English second language teachers in a row working in states that are directly affected by a border crisis. Um, I'm going to hear them out, Chris. I'm sorry. And now, Thanks, now I'm not going to move you up. So Thanks for being an advocate. <laughs> <laughs> um, Megan, thank you. Much appreciated. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Chris up. N- now I'm taking Zach.
and he's going to make all of your lives miserable. So, Zach, you're up. Go ahead. Let him. Um, uh, I don't feel like it tonight. Sorry. I got pink eye. So I'm going to be very toned down. At least it's just um, pink eye. Well, I also have cancer, but everyone knows that. So which which, which would you pink. rather have? Well, I'd rather have pink eye because it goes away in three days, whereas cancer, I've had it for the last 10 years. So, But I mean, it sounds like you've lived with that better than you would with pink eye. Like, like well, I... I well, for, for, forget it. Zach, what's on your mind? I, I'm uh, I'm literally walking into a buzzsaw. I'm stopping there. I had a good thought on it, and then I'm not going to. Well, uh, you get used to it. Like, I wasn't, I didn't handle things super well when they told me I had to have surgery or I was going to die. Like, not a fun time, but. But with pink eye, you get to wear an eye patch. Point, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but I could do that anyway. I could do that for fun. <laughs> Zach, what's on your mind? Um, I, I, I didn't watch the town hall. Uh, was it last night? Or not? I, I it was remember. two nights ago. Uh, you know what? It was so funny. Is the. the uh, I'm paid. I am literally fucking paid to do the. Th- I'm I'm basically Jesus when it comes to media. I'm literally paid to do the things you don't want to do. I'm paid to watch the town halls. I'm paid to comment on them or whatever. And instead, I decided to try and go to a movie, which didn't work out. And I talked about why on the podcast today. And I will fully admit, I had people questioning me this week why. Why did I not talk about CNN and the town hall on the podcast? And I will 100% admit that it was basically a purposeful strategy to ignore it. Although it was really fucking hard to ignore Anderson Cooper talking about the Trump town hall like somebody beheaded someone on stage. Well, I mean, uh, Trump did basically behead Collins's career. Um but yeah, uh, the the town hall. I think it was planned to throw a lot of lot of gotcha questions at Trump, and he didn't he didn't take the bait to their liking. And so, watching the the absolute meltdown, not just by Anderson Cooper, but everyone in the media. And on the on the left has been so much fun. Um, I mean, you should listen to uh, Joe Scarborough. Basically, like he sounds like uh, Mika kicked him in the nuts right before he starts talking about it. He sounds like he's about to cry. The funniest thing about that is Mika is far more enamored with Trump than Joe is. And if you go back and you look at a montage of clips, like she is she is far more oh, the Babadook is trending. Um, she is far more 
I think the influence with Trump than he is, even though he's the member at Mar-a-Lago or whatever, but she giggles like a dumb fucking schoolgirl. Um, no offense to schoolgirls. Um, every time Trump will compliment her during the 26th, there's a great montage out there, and I wish I saved it, of Mika clips with Trump set to, to, set to tequila or something. And it's so perfect. Like she's ruffling his hair. She's giggling. She's giggling at her joke at his jokes on the phone. And I actually think she's like the worst of the two. She's infinitely worse than. Um, yeah, there we go. Yeah, there it goes. Um, she's infinitely worse than the two when it comes to who is the worst morning Joe person when it comes to Trump. Um, I'll let you, I'll let you finish this, but what, uh, just a comment while I have the thought, um, I think uh, Ben Shapiro, I think summed it up perfectly. And I, I like, I know I don't talk about Ben a lot or I don't retweet Ben a lot or whatever, but CNN talked about what CNN viewers care about. They didn't talk about re- what Republicans care about. And that was that. Maybe that's why I didn't talk about this town hall. I mean, I'm just not interested in it, but maybe that's kind of why I didn't really go into it because I think Ben Shapiro summed it up perfect. I think he said, and those of you who know me knows I'm not, you know, I don't praise everything Ben Shapiro does. Um, he's fine. I don't care. Um, but he basically said that this was this was supposed to be a Republican town hall and not really a real single Republican issue was addressed. Uh, Alvin Bragg, Republicans don't care. E. Jean Carroll, Republicans don't care. Maybe they should when it comes to voting for a person of character and, you know, fitness for office. But when it comes to political issues, nobody gives a shit about Alvin Bragg. Nobody cares about E. Jean Carroll. Nobody cares about these things. What peop- what CNN viewers care about is Alvin Bragg. What CNN uh, viewers care about is E. Jean Carroll. And I think that that's the best summation of that town hall. Um, I have a ton of thoughts on it, and I, it really, I'm fully honest when I say I went out of my way to not talk about it this week, even though I'm paid to talk about it. So I'm sorry I fucked you all over, but I did it on purpose. But that, I think Shapiro really said it right, that this this was not a town hall about lockdowns. This was not a town hall about Anthony Fauci. It was not a town hall about inflation. It was not a town hall about... Um, Biden is 85 years old and probably half fucking dead. This was a town hall about issues that CNN viewers care about, even though it was supposed to be a town hall about what New Hampshire Republican voters care about. And I thought that's, I think that that's the best comment on it. And so maybe I just withdrew and I'm like, nope, he's right. That's it. Run with it. Um, And to me, still the funniest thing is Jake Tapper apologizing and Anderson Cooper apologizing. And that's what I wrote Spectator. You guys were both Jeff Zucker hires. You guys all know who your employer is. This is all kind of WWF, WWE wrestling, uh, performing for the camera. You're still performing the news, even though Jeff Zucker is out of CNN. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, Zach, but that's just that. A couple things. Um, Number one, I actually posted, I believe it was in the comments, on the episode where you talked about the, I think like the original blowback before the town hall happened, there was a, there was a clip where the CEO of Warner Discovery was asked about it and 
he was basically saying like, you know, we're trying to return CNN to news. And so of course we're going to have the leading candidate right now on the air. And, you know, the other interviewers are pushing back and he's like, he's like, Americans want to be informed. So we're doing a disservice if we don't talk about the leaning candidate for one of the two parties. And that's the bind that Um, Trump puts them in is I absolutely agree. If he is polling at 54 percent or 48 percent, you cannot deny his existence. He is not just because you just because he's, you know, inconvenient doesn't mean he doesn't exist. And if you don't put someone like that out there in certain terms, then it does just simply look like you're censoring him, in which case makes him even more empowered. Um, Yes. And actually, right before I jumped on call in, I saw an article that Chris, uh, Chris Licht had called Oliver yeah. into the office. Not, not only that, him, the latest he, development is Taylor Lorenz is now going after Oliver Darcy. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, um, I'm te- it's comfortably Smug's Twitter feed. I'm Team Lorenz on this one. <laughs> well, I, mean, I hope I, she gets some fucking fire. I mean, I'm, I'm still laughing from a few weeks ago when she, you know is pretending to have long COVID and is super duper immune compromised and the nurse wasn't wearing a mask or the, not the nurse, but the uh, phlebotomist to take yeah, blood. Yeah, the, be- the best and thing the about this is she, she posted a picture. She was at a with, party with other journalists uh, at, or at a dinner with other journalists not wearing masks. It's performance. Um, but here's what I'll say. At least... <laughs> If if you had if you had to say here's Oliver Darcy he's t- here's Taylor Lorenz whose corner are you in I'm in Taylor Lorenz at least I mean she's she's a liar she's a sociopath but she's not dishonest about who she is and in, in what she does Oliver Dar- Oliver Darcy made his career as the guy from Campus Reform who goes around to college campuses with the microphone and says. What do you think about overexpensive healthcare? Da, da, da. And then the stupid liberal college student says, I disagree with that. And then Oliver Darcy goes, that's Obamacare. What do you think about it now? That's how, that's how he made his fucking career. That's how he was then hired. He went from campus reform to the blaze where that's what he did. And then he got hired by CNN because he was an anti-Trump media critic. And he took, he, 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 he basically took the bait. And so, um, at least <laughs> trying to parse my words as much as possible because I still think Lorenz is a dishonest sociopath. She's still more honest than who Darcy is. Um, I will leave you with this, but if you have Taylor Lorenz in one corner and Oliver Darcy in the other, and you tell me that I have to be in one of their corners, I'm just going to go Epstein myself in the shower and not worry what, about what's, it. So, what is what is better? Cancer, defending Taylor Lorenz, or defending Oliver Darcy? Uh, cancer. <laughs> Without question. I mean, it's like, would you rather have cancer or would you rather not have a soul? 
Yeah. I'm with, I'm with you on that. And with cancer, I get fun medications. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, we're all unmedicated with Lorenz and Darcy. No, I'm, uh, I will say, um, b- between the two, uh, I don't think I have cancer. I might, who knows at this point. Um, but I'm still, if I'm choosing between the two, I'm, I'm, I'm going to back Taylor Lorenz as, as much as she is one of the worst things to happen. To, I, I, here's the thing with Taylor Lorenz. It's not that she's bad. It's that the American media thinks she's so smart and good that they have to copy her. And then every network goes out and hires their own Taylor Lorenz. It's kind of like American Idol. The irony about that is Jeff Zucker created The Apprentice with Donald Trump. And then every network went out and tried to copy it. Basically, Taylor Lorenz is the Donald Trump of American media. That's going to be a. Yeah. Uh, so um, anyway, yeah, I just saw that. So I haven't I haven't seen any more. But now I need to go find out how. Lorenz oh, she lit him up to get him fired. She she absolutely lit Darcy up as a former uh, Republican or conservative reporter who spread disinformation and uh i I will always take the side of the purely honestly evil person over the guy who basically sold out all of his beliefs to take a paycheck for jeff zucker so that's why i'm on yeah so uh, all right well um i was houston last week everything is still stable so I'm going to be back to making your lives miserable again, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Thanks, right, Zach. Talk to you later. Glad you're well. Take Bye. care. Uh, Robert, I can't, I, are we there? There we go. I can't promise I'm going to get to everyone here. And I love. I like seeing Christopher Chet's back there, David's back there, Little Red's back there. Uh, Robert's been very patient. Robert was the first person in the queue. Um this has been an interesting episode. I did not expect to take like literally two ESL teachers back to back. Um, but again, I, I think that that's what makes this great. Patience. I appreciate it. Thank you for hanging on. Go ahead. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Um, I am, uh, uh, you know, I have so many opinions about what's going on this week. Give me your first but, and best one, um, or your craziest. Give me your first best craziest one. In- well, uh, uh, this is actually a good lead-in. Um, uh, I uh, my caretaker tonight actually happens to be an immigrant, and being the anarcho-capitalist libertarian that I am, uh, is uh, paying her completely under the table, um, especially since uh, she has had to put up with all of my shit, both figuratively and literally, since the day I was conceived. So I'd like to introduce you to my mother, Donna. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Donna. Everybody say hi, Donna. (laughs) Say hi, Donna in comments, please. Continue button. Okay, I'm I'm the uh, immigrant, but I can tell you now I'm the legal immigrant. I came in legally. It was a hell of a process. We're going to need proof. And I...
No, I'm joking. Steps in front of the line. Donna, where you, start with, uh, now that you say you're legal immigrants, start with where you're from. In- from Northern Ireland. So before I became a U.S. citizen, I considered myself an Ulster Scott American or an Irish American. And then I had to go through all kinds of stuff just to get here legally. Like what kind of stuff? Tell us what kind of start, start from the beginning. How how did you get here? Tell us everything about the kind of. Okay. I married, uh, I met my husband, my future husband in South Georgia when my car broke down, fell in love, went back to Ireland, arranged a wedding he had to wait, fly wait, over stop, to get back, married back there. Back up, back up. How did you get from <laughs> Ireland to South Georgia? Came over. Give, I was give me that. Very, very, give me that. Very, very single. Very, very single and decided to bring my parents on the vacation of a lifetime. How old were you? 25. And off man for so life. So you're 25 years old. You're li- Where in Ireland were you living? In Belfast, okay. Northern Ireland. So one of the main... So you're 25 years old. You're living in Belfast, and you decide, we're going to America, right? Yes. So you bring your parents. Um, did you fly or boat? We flew into Toronto, actually, because we had friends <laughs> that lived in, in London, Ontario. <laughs> of course. You guys flew into a failed terrorist state. So Yes. So Didn't you, realize it at the time, but that's how we got there. If you, if you don't mind, what year was this? 1980. Okay, so it's eh, a long, not long ago. So it's like, you know, you're 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 like over the head of the U two fandom at this point, and everything's yes. good. So you go from um, what what made you decide in 1980 Belfast, which is granted not the most stable of times. So I can I can kind of understand it. Yes. So you say 1980. I'm 25 years old. Mom and dad were fucking going to America. What made you decide that? Because my father had read everything he could find on Alaska, on the United States. He would sit and read the Atlas and read out the names of all the different country, of different cities, uh, Cincinnati and Albuquerque. And, and he was just fascinated by the country. And I said, well, why the hell don't we just go there? Did, did so any of that have to do with the politics of the socioeconomic things happening in Belfast in 1980? Or was it just like, let's just fucking go. It's a better place. The weather here is shit. The food is shit. Let's just. (laughs) No, it was a case of they had taken me on vacation all my life and it was time for me to repay them. And I decided where in the world would you like to go? And dad said the United States. Okay. So then. You you go from and, and as I heard you correct, you didn't. So you didn't go from like Belfast to New York because you didn't have doc. You didn't have proper documents, right? Is that what you were saying? Well, we had to get uh, visas to the U.S. immigration and uh, what's it you call it the consulate in Belfast. Okay, we had, we had to get visitors visas. Did, but... And did you do that, or did you just say balls to that? We're flying to Canada and driving. Oh, no, we did everything legally. We went and got the visas, got okay. our passport stamped. And it was when we got to the border in um, Detroit, coming across into the U.S., we had to get off the bus 
and go through uh, immigration and, and control. Oh, oh, okay, and so back up. So you went from Belfast to Toronto. How did you end up in Detroit as opposed to just going from Toronto to like New York, like an hour long flight to New York? Well, we had friends that picked us up and took us to uh, London, Ontario. Okay, so, then, so you had friends like actually in Canada. Yes, in Canada. Okay. But we wanted we weren't that interested in Canada. We wanted to come to the U.S. Right. So I contacted a company called the American Auto Shipping Company. That where, that to me sounds like an IRA front. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, you you pay a deposit. They give you a car to deliver somewhere. And it's still in one piece. When you get there, you get your deposit back. It's the cheapest way to travel. I went from Detroit to Orlando on $27 in 1980. Jesus. Okay. So uh, for, uh, forget the IRA part. We don't have to talk about that part. That's 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 a completely different argument. So you go from Belfast to Toronto into Detroit. And then, so now you talked about how you go from De Detroit, you you. You work for the IRA front, the shipping company, you get a car, you end up in Georgia and go from there. I just wanted to give people a backstory. So now go okay. from there. Okay. Went, to, went down to Orlando, spent a week there, got a Porsche to deliver back up to, to so Chicago. So it's definitely IRA. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then <clears throat> got to South Georgia and the damn thing broke down. <clears throat> So I was that, that's why that's why South... I bought a Range Rover and not a Porsche. Yeah, I shouldn't. I would never drive a Porsche again. They're useless piece of shit. But anyway, <clears throat> it worked well for me because the guy who fixed it ended up being married to me. But, you know, a good mechanic is really hard to find. <laughs> it, well, now we have YouTube, and you can't really marry YouTube. <laughs> so, so now that we have the backstory, go back to go back to your original uh, your reason for being on the mic. What what, what did you want to say? Now that we're because we're this obviously became a, an immigration heavy episode. So now go ahead and go back to before I put you on the spot and made you awkward. And now you're probably going to get assassinated by the IRA. Go back to the original point of like what? Okay, what I had to go through to get here legally. Yeah, go ahead. When I flew back to Ireland, uh, my future husband had to fly there to get married over there. And then I had to have uh, chest x-rays. I had to have a full medical work. Why? Why did tests. you have to have chest x-rays in a medical? Because they would not let me into the country as an alien resident, a resident alien, without a full medical background. So this wasn't like the Titanic days where it was just combing the beards for lice. This was a full uh, medical checkup. You're great. You don't have anything that you're going to come in and you're not going to spread a virus. Because thank God those days are over. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, that was, that was just to get to be a resident alien. That wasn't to be a citizen. That was just to have the right to enter the country, not, not to be a citizen. Back in later. But yeah, I had okay, to have yeah, no, yeah, full keep going. I had a full medical <clears throat> I had to have my husband had to have an affidavit of support, a legal document saying that uh, he would support me so that I would never be eligible for welfare. That's a change from today. 
and I had to have eye exams. I had to have a criminal background check. I mean, there's all kinds of documentation, and that was just to get the visa to enter the country as a resident so alien. You had that all done in Ireland. I got married then... there in order to take my marriage certificate to the U.S. Embassy to get them to issue the visa. So all of that was done in Ireland or Canada, or, yes. or and then that submitted in, in Northern Ireland. Or... That was all done in, in the U.S. Embassy in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So you have a medical you have a medical exam in the United States Embassy. I had to have a doctor's certificate saying that I was okay. Healthy. Yeah, I'm just um, I'm just trying to find, I'm just trying to find, like I'm curious that they had like a nurse on staff at the at the embassy. So you had to take in the results of your exams to the yes. embassy. The embassy signs off on it, and then only then you can then immigrate or get on a plane. Yes, then they they issued the, the visa on my passport so I was able to come in through immigration in Atlanta and they allowed me in. But I had to carry my chest x-rays with me. You had to bring x-rays like with you on the plane or to the airport? Yes, physically with me in a large green envelope. And so was it customs that looks at those and says you're fine? Like what does the custom agent hold them up to the light and go, okay, no, no, no parasites? He actually didn't look at them. He just waved his arm through. Oh, so that was, was worth it. Know, I didn't see any point in carrying this great big envelope that wouldn't fit in your suitcase. So kind of what we're getting, and I alluded to this earlier, is that it's not so much um, hopping a wall is the issue. It's the visa process that's kind of an issue. So you sound like you're kind of annoyed that you had to do all of that 30, 40 years ago, and now we have people just walking across and be like, here's my cell phone. Is, is that correct? Yes, exactly. And I mean, it explain that res- Explain that resentment. You're not American, so this isn't like MAGA Nazism. This is just like, as, a, as an immigrant who did what you were supposed to do 30, 40 years ago, explain that resentment. Well, if I had to go through like, that... Tell me why... I had to go through that in 1980, and then um, after 9-11, I decided I wanted to become a U.S. citizen, a full U.S. citizen. Well, that, that cost... That must have been fun, like post-9-11. $100, um, a bunch of different paperwork to fill out. Um, I had to have be fingerprinted. Um, I had to go to the federal courthouse in Atlanta to be sworn in. Um, proud day, I can say, when I became a U.S. citizen. But I, I still... There were a lot of hoops to, to jump through. And today, all I would have to do is just walk across the Rio Grande. I think we made that joke with Djokovic, the the tennis player, who said, you know, he couldn't, he he legally could not fly into the country. And I even think Ron DeSantis said, hey, fly fly into Mexico, we'll boat you, like, we'll send you an aircraft carrier. Yeah. And and I know several of us make that joke. Um, but this was this was just the absurdity, especially of the COVID travel order, which Biden then extended. And that's kind of when you knew, like, he's doing this shit for politics. It has nothing to do with the COVID virus. Uh, and this, this double, is, again, to me, is a failure damage. of journal. This, to me, is a failure of journalism, which is how can a world-class tennis star not be able to fly into the United States to participate in a sporting event um, 
because of his vaccination status. And yet we're sitting here looking at thousands of migrants coming across the border and not a single journalist has has an iota of curiosity to ask the president because they're afraid his eyeball is going to fall out of his head or the White House press secretary. Hey, how come you're letting in migrants across the border without vaccination or at least at least not knowing their vaccination status? but you're not going to let one tennis player participate in a tournament. I think, well, I think maybe Ducey asked this question once I think that's and they let her off the hook. She just goes, Oh, we have ways of checking like really. So, so out of the thousands and thousands of migrants that are coming across the border, um, you have a way of checking their vaccinations. Do you give them a COVID test? You get, well, we give them a mask. Like, no, 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 that's not testing. And this this goes back to the absurdity, of course, of the riots of 2020, where it was like everyone has to lock down until George Floyd's murdered. And now it's, hey, we're all going to go out in the streets and protest with a Coca-Cola in our hand. And so I, I, I completely get that resentment. And you're right that it's completely hypocritical. And I don't look at the policy as hypocritical. I look at the failure of journalists to look Kareem Jean-Pierre in the eye and just go, how... How do you square this? How is this even remotely consistent? And also, I think it was last week I commented on how they ended the COVID emergency. But I noticed, like, COVID just disappeared. Like, it's it's like people just stopped talking about it. Yes. Um, there's no social distancing anymore. I just noticed this week PetSmart took down the uh, the plexiglass when I was buying, you know, expensive dog treats for my stupid fucking pups. And <laughs> it's funny how it how we went from we need this is such an emergency that we need to suspend student loan payments to it's not an emergency anymore. Let everybody in in the matter. of Well, it's just <clears throat> it's the double standard, you know, uh, the whole point of the United States is that we are created equal and that the law should apply to everybody. It's similar from Ireland. There's a funny, there's there's a thing that our media and especially Biden likes to, Biden, who is a native son of Ireland, never forget. (sighs) Um, (laughs) They like to say that America's not a place, and John Stewart even did this today. America's not a place that doesn't belong to anyone. It's an idea. Yeah, I think I know the answer here, but I want the room to hear it is you clearly believe America is a place. It's a destination. It's a place on a map. It's it's a goal to achieve. So is it I get that America is an idea that can be spread through democracies, through the world. But it sounds to me like you think that America is in a place. And, and, and why is that? Like when you tell me, look, you've taken me on vacation we're going to fucking go to America. I know that we have to like pay an IRA agent under the hand and we have to transfer a car full of SAS missiles or whatever. <laughs> but it sounds to me like you say America is an actual place. Is, am I right on that? Is- it, is, it is, as Reagan said, the last shining city on a hill. <clears throat> it's a place where freedom is celebrated. Um, <clears throat> in 1980, when I was <clears throat> driving through Georgia, there was a, a billboard that said, we, the farmers of Georgia, apologize to the farmers of the United States.
for putting Jimmy Carter in the White House. I almost crashed the car. I thought, how could you possibly say that in public? And then I thought, well, in this country you can. But that's not true in every country. Uh, as an immigrant, and you're a citizen now. You like you said you went through citizenship, and it's. I'm a proud U.S. citizen. And you said yes. you're a proud U.S. citizen. Um, how how did you vote in the last two elections, and how do you plan on voting in the next one? If that. No, I voted for Trump both times, and if he runs again, I will vote for him again, because I look at what he did, not what he said. Well, well he is running again. CNN has told us as much. Um, do you see an alternative to it, or is he just? Um, <clears throat> I would vote for Ron DeSantis, I think, if uh, if Trump doesn't get the nomination. But if Trump gets the nomination, I'll vote him in because uh, things prospered under him. I look at what the country was like, how patriotic we felt. I don't feel that today. Um, Why not? Well, he helped secure the southern border. Biden's not doing that. Um, the inflation is out of control. Uh, you need to take out a second mortgage to buy half a dozen eggs. You know, um, like like, like so. Yeah. So a fun story is um, I, I notice inflation. I, I notice things like that. Um, I don't have kids, uh, but I do notice those things. And I and I joke to people. That I like the first time I noticed inflation, just because I eat a lot of fucking eggs right now. I'm I'm going through a, a protein phase. Obviously, I, I, I see a personal trainer, so I, I'm up to about five to six eggs a day. And I is the first thing I noticed an increase in inflation was when like a carton of eggs was um, like three ninety nine, and then I noticed it go to like five seventy five. And I even told someone. Um, that when I see eggs hit eight dollars an an hour, that's that's when I that's when I become that's when I storm the U.S. Capitol basically and try to steal buying chickens. <laughs> that's actually yeah. I have a friend who has three of them, and they keep them outside, and it's great. And that's that's not the worst idea. I could probably keep them on my balcony. I don't. I mean, I don't have to tell them. Um, but you'd be surprised about how kind of in line inflation is. And I, and I do think that, uh, um, I do think that the border crisis is a bigger deal than what our media and what Joe Biden thinks it is. I'll give, I'll give you one last, I'll I'll give you one last word. So you go from Georgia, fill me in, you, you, you steal a car. Uh, you're working for the IRA, you're shipping missiles, and then, so you go from Georgia, so then, um, and, and now, and, and Robert's been a long-time caller here uh, for for a while, and he's, and he's given us great stories, and now I know where they all come from. Um, <laughs> so, I think we I think we lost at how you ended up in Georgia, but then how did you go from Georgia to where? Well, we're still in Georgia, but we're in North Georgia. Um, we came up here uh, on vacation, and I told my husband, I said, this is like coming home. There's rolling hills. There are trees that change colors in the, in the fall and the winter. And, uh, and I said, let's get out of South Georgia because it was just too hot and too sticky. 
and um, <clears throat> I consider myself living in paradise. I look out my window and it's like a picture postcard. It's a beautiful part of the country. And if I didn't have relatives overseas, I would never go overseas. I would just uh, enjoy the United States because there's something here for everybody. Such a beautiful country. The, the last question I have, and then we're going to move on. I need you to say the word. I need you. Speaking of states, I need you to say the state Ohio. Ohio. Okay, you did that pretty well. The reason I ask is I was familiar with a British person for years and years, and they could not say the word Ohio. And I know you're not British, and I know you take offense to that thinking that you were. Well, I, I just see, needed. I, I just needed to hear you. British I just needed to hear you say it. I was born in Northern Ireland, which is part of Britain, so. <laughs> not anymore. But uh, but. I have Th- never thanks been to your able friends to say, who who, who been able took to you to Toronto surname. and had you move a car. <laughs> I've never been able to say my surname, which is Brown. I've never been able to say it without getting one of my kids to spell it. Or how do you spell it? B R O W N, like the color. But when I said Brown over the phone, everybody thinks it's Brian. It did. So it did sound like Brian, like, like, like you're browning a turkey. My name is. <laughs> there you go. Um, th- thank you. It was it was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for sharing your experience. Um, it was a joy to speak to you as well. Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> Robert, you won us over on this one. <laughs> Thanks, amigo. Have a good one. Cheers, Robert. Thank you. This is the whiskey. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm I'm having the blue dog tonight, and it's a watered down version because I, I can't. I, I, I like I said, I'm I've cut back on it. I'm doing training, and so um, I, I have to water it down in, in with ice. I'm not proud of myself. Well, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to hang. Uh, I, I'm going to be fully honest. I, I don't think we're going to get through. We're, we'll go. We'll go for another 15 minutes, and so I don't, I'm going to try to get through you guys. Uh, if I can't, then um, I, I apologize. I, I just kind of enjoyed. I've had two special, special language teachers, and I've had um, a great woman from Ireland tonight. So this has been this has been a good one. But uh, Doctor Roller Gator, a regular here. Thank you for holding. I know you were like second in line, and uh, thanks for uh, just holding on. Uh, no problem. I was multitasking. Um, I mean, so was I, to be yeah. honest. I'm trying to figure out the switch controller. Yes, yes. Did you get a pro controller? No. Do I need a pro controller? Pro controller is basically like an Xbox-style controller. Okay. So I think more, I need to get a pro controller. It, it's much more comfortable. Because I'm looking at this. And no, so here, here's the thing. I fully 100% listen to people, I'm honestly. But there, there's times when, you know, I do multitask. I can, like, focus on other things. And... Uh, I saw, as I said, as I started this episode off, I got the Nintendo Switch. Um, I'm excited to probably tomorrow play Zelda. And so I was unboxing things, honestly, during uh, Teacher Megan's phone call. No offense. Um, I was still listening, of course. And and so I hooked this Nintendo Switch controller up, and the thing is fucking tiny. It's like for the the hands of a 12-year-old. And so... I've been kind of screwing around with just the buttons on it, and I think I can get used to it. I think I'm okay. It reminds me of the Range Rover steering wheel. 
um, where it's a smaller steering wheel, but it's it's fine. It's aerodynamic. But now that I know I need a better controller, then it's whatever. Yeah, it, it works. It gets the job done. But the the Pro controller is an official Nintendo thing, so it's not just a third party okay. accessory. So I need to go now. I need to spend more money on this and go get another controller. Okay. Uh, yes, but here, here's the thing. The- I I never have time to play video games. Okay, I I work. You know, I'm the t- type of uh, twelve hour a day work person, and then throw a thousands of projects on myself above that. But five years ago, or however long it was, when Breath of the Wild came out, I took vacation for two weeks and did nothing but play that game, and I didn't regret a single minute of it. So, so someone told me so. I got so I saw the trailer for it. I've never been a fan of Nintendo. I just don't like the bubbly head graphics. I just don't like like the kitty like graphics of it. And so Breath of the Wild came out, and I thought about it. I was like, oh, that looks that, it looks like anime. And I'm not an anime guy, but like if it's used right, it looks like oh, this looks fucking great as a video game. I'm a big fan of like cinematic games. So like Dragon Slayer, which was a cartoon. That was like an arcade game that was, an, that was a cartoon, and I was like, this is great. And so that's what Breath of the Wild reminded me of, but I never bought it. I, I just kind of like, eh. And then I kind of got sucked into the hype with this game, and so I thought I'm just going to do it. Um, and somebody called somebody who I was talking to about it, I was like, should I, should I do this? Should, is it, am I going to regret? And they said, it's somebody referred to it as Elden Link. And so I'm like, okay, I'm in, whatever. So, but yeah, I'm like looking at this and they're like telling me, which version do you want? You need to go get the OLED. And I'm just like, now I'm stressed out. Like, I just need something that I can hook to my TV and kill some time with once in a while. Yeah, yeah. And I, not, after I talk to you, I'm actually going to go start playing. I played it for an hour last night, so I'm going to shut off the world. <laughs> um, but... Um, I, I want to talk about something that you didn't um, talk on the on Colin oh, tonight or on your today. Um, that's just uh, that's that's the the Jason Neely. Jordan Neely, you're racist now. Your life is over. Yeah, well, that that I mean, well, listen, he's a beloved uh, Michael Jackson performer, and uh, he was the last one we had, and so we've lost we've lost the last Michael Jackson performer. Well, that, no, we yeah, still have Corey Feldman. Oh, okay. That's true. That's true. Um, so there's there's been, a, you know, the popular outcry right now is is that, um, you know, whatever he did, however uncomfortable he did, he, he didn't deserve to wind up dead. And that is a that is a very effective uh, way of phrasing an encounter like that, um, that if you actually take a look at a couple instances in the last few years, you you kind of can see that it's it's a recurring rhetor- rhetorical tactic that works in almost any particular scenario. So when Derek Chauvin's um, uh, verdict came in, there was a, a woman named Makaya Bryant who was shot by a police officer in the middle in the middle of stabbing. Other people. There were there were two incidences that line up with where you're going. One was Micaiah Bryant, which was yeah, she's she's going to stab a girl, and the, and the officer shoots her. The other was Jacob Blake, obviously. But yeah, so the Micaiah Bryant one, there was there's an activist, um, uh, Bree Newsom, who was uh, most famous for being the person Statue who Liberty. climbed up. Statue of Liberty. Yeah, she climbed the statue. She, she like climbed up the Statue of Liberty to unfurl a banner. That was that's how she gained notoriety. 
the the Confederate flag in in the um, capital of uh, South Carolina. That, that one too. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I guess I, I wasn't aware of the other thing you're referring to, but um, she she at the moment <laughs> said that children have been fighting with knives for ages, and it doesn't end up in cops you know shooting them. Yeah. <laughs> There was a few of those. Yeah, this is a good recollection. She's the one who did that. It was the attitude was this is just how they settle things. Keep. Yes, and and so the, the point the, the the point I'm actually targeting and, that, and, and honing in on that's what that. propagates the entire thinking of why we cannot talk about gun violence in cities like Chicago, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Oakland, wherever. It's it's stay out of it. it it's this is just how they. Well, I'm honing in on something in particular, and that is that when, if you recall the um, the story where the woman Amy Cooper called the police on on someone, uh, another guy named Christian Cooper, and they weren't related, yes. but they just happened to have the same last name. Where you know he was he was kind of insinuating he was going to do something to her dog, so she called the yep. cops and and said that you know and emphasized that he was a black man, and then he was uh, referred to in the media as just a bird watcher, uh, etc. The reason that she was in trouble, according to society, was because calling the cops is is the way that white people kill black people because basically the expectation is that if the cops arrive on the scene and uh, an incident will occur that will wind up in the in the black man's death so the the setup here is that anytime anyone takes an action it will have been incorrect both in foresight and hindsight no matter how how you're supposed to um arrive at it so if you're you're you shoot someone because they're in the middle of stabbing other people well that was wrong you should have done something else to de-escalate the situation and if you call the cops to to uh you know out of concern for your safety because uh, someone is acting erratic well now you are attempting to assassinate them through the cops if you take if you uh, try to restrain them to protect other people now you are if if anything goes wrong you are now responsible ultimately for what occurred so uh, the the rhetoric works but it, it just there is absolutely no specific thing that you can do to avoid the complaints is where i'm targeting <laughs> No, you're right. It's it's Calvin Ball, and it's the rules are whatever they say they are, and that that was kind of the point I was making with this incident with the homeless black man shitting on the LGBTQ flag, which was if a vagrant who is mentally ill is screaming at passengers on a subway that he like he'll take a bullet unless you give him food like. Apparently, there's more coming out about his behavior per witness statements, none that where he got physically aggressive. But um, it's we were told by Elizabeth Spears and, and others from New York Times, that you, you're just supposed to take it. This is just, hey, this is urban living. We also saw that with Seth Rogen with car theft in Los Angeles. Seth Rogen came out and said, hey, I've had my window broken. That's just kind of how what happens. And we've heard that from San Francisco as well. It's, hey, if you get your car stolen, that's what you get for living in a city. And then you have the case of this guy named Fred Innocent, which this is just, this still to me is the best fucking name for an African-American homeless vagrant in New York City. <laughs> I still can't get over it. And he is a homeless guy. He's walking down the street. He's got to take a shit. He 
we don't we don't there's no proof that he targeted this LGBTQ flag because it's a gay flag. He just really had to go, pulls it down, defecates on the flag, wipes with the other one, and now he's being charged with a hate crime when just the fucking week prior we were told this is the price of living in this city. And so I was talking to people, I know I raised this question on the podcast about when did the pride flag become a constitutionally protected symbol? And they inform me it's kind of under blasphemous laws, but I'm like, but doesn't that involve intent? Like for all we know, this dude just had to go. So we're supposed to, we're supposed to put up with everything unless it's a symbol that they believe should be protected. And again, this, this comes down to what I was saying about why we can't talk about the politics in these cities. We're not allowed to talk about politics in Minneapolis that led to George Floyd's murder. It has to be the country is racist. And it's, it's like you said with Micaiah Bryant and stuff like it's no, it's, it, it is simply, you're right about that. Calling the cops is an act of aggression. Well, this is what you get with community policing in New York and the people, the most outraged with it, people like Mark Spain or whatever, that's her city. Like she, she literally represents the fucking Bronx and she's out here going, how is this happening? Is she, she might as well be wearing a hot dog outfit. And so that's why this case of the guy defecating the LGBTQ flag is so interesting to me. Yeah. You could argue we should be charged under, you know, uh, destruction of private property, but we're already being told that's not a good enough reason to charge an African-American with a crime. It's literally like the insinuation of what they put behind it. And it's, it's funny. It's tragic. Um, I hope this guy from the subway has a good trial lawyer. I, I hope he doesn't have a celebrity lawyer. Um, I think there's a chance he probably walks on this or he pleads it down um, but yeah, you're right. There's, there are no rules except the rules they make. And that's, that's why guys like me have a career is these aren't my rules. I'm simply playing by the rules that they create. And so when you hold them to their own standards, they can't play by their rules. And ultimately it's like I said, it comes down to, we can get away with whatever we want and you can't. That's really, when people ask me about like, how do they do this? Why do they do this? That's really it. It really is that simple is we should be allowed to do these things. You, because I see you differently, different political opinion, different political beliefs. You're my enemy. Uh, misgendering me is violence. So I should be allowed to shoot you. It's literally just, I can get away with this. Yeah. And, and I, you know, ultimately a manslaughter charge would be the only thing that would be reasonable because and obviously it, this and it felt like the least it, the manslaughter too is the least. I talked to a few lawyers about this and they all said the same thing that this is pretty much the least thing to throw a bone at the activists and Al Sharpton and people that say, please shut the fuck up. Now we're going to do something. Yeah, and uh, but unfortunately, if this winds up being a a, a sort of um, uh, Kenosha event, you know, type of trial, um, it it doesn't matter what happens in the courtroom, what is demonstrated. Everyone with is going to go in out of it the same way they came into it. Believe if if you know if he happened to be found acquitted because of the the evidence presented in 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 the trial that assuming that let you know that more evidence would come out that this person was actually threatening to kill people verbally you know uh, making such claims um you know and he would be acquitted 
um, it, it, it's not going to change anyone's mind. So these these tr these public trials that we're engaging in wind up being the trial ultimately. And and while the person might not wind up incarcerated, it's going to be very difficult unless they become some sort of um, celebrity due to the this event um, for them to to actually still continue on. Well, yeah, and it doesn't matter if he. I mean, even if he's not convicted. Um, he's going to have civil suits filed for him by Ben Crump or Al Sharpton or the family's attorneys and what have you. And I mean, people joked, but I kind of said that like right after this incident, whether or not you thought you were doing good, man, empty your bank account, go to Canada and then fly from Canada to Sweden <laughs> like, and then have your lawyer deal with it while you're in a non-extradition state. Like, I mean, literally, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's a hard situation, and um, he clearly did not intend to murder him or kill him, but he did die. So there is something here about that, but I'm kind of the mind where it's just like, obviously he did not intend to kill the person. Um, clearly this person has a history of aggressive, violent behavior, but yeah, I mean, that's the point of it. And this is what I mean about you don't have to defund police. You just have to... Uh, if you are if you were if you are a DA in a city like New York or or wherever, you just have to make the where cops say this isn't worth me showing up to the call. Period. A police officer, if he gets a domestic a domestic abuse thing or an individual possibly with a gun, a cop is like, I'm not taking that call because I don't need to end up in a wrestling match with this guy, end up shooting him, and then end up all over national media where I then have to pay legal fees. Then I have to move my family to fucking Canada and start a new life. And that's a form of defunding. And that's where we're at with this. It's not a good place to be. And, I mean, this is going to be an interesting case. And we all know what happens if he's acquitted. This is the thing. We all know how this story goes. We, we are all familiar with the script here, which, if he's acquitted, um, if you're CBS, you better start buying fucking lumber and boarding up. But yep, that's uh, that's all I wanted to talk about, and I hope you enjoy the game. Breath of the Wild was also amazing. If you wind up wanting to play that too, have a great yeah, night. Yeah, I, I asked a few people, do I need to go back and play Breath of the Wild? And they said, no, don't do it. You're fine. And this is the thing about like getting one of these things. I was like, what am I going to play other than this? <laughs> and so someone told me like, if you subscribe, you'll get all the old '64 games and stuff. So I was like, okay, all right, all right, let's just like whatever. Um, there's nothing really on PlayStation that's interesting to me right now. So I was just like, all right, let's just go do it. The, the theme music sold me. And so uh, these aren't really my games. Like I, I liked Elden Ring, but I'm not a crafter. I'm not a side missioner, but we'll see. So um, it, it'll be a good time suck for me here in a couple of weeks. Oh, the the last Metroid was really good too. So, I asked someone like, "Has Switch done a good Metroid game?" And they're like, "Oh, they've done three or four. They've done five. And I'm like, "Okay, too much." Like, no, no it's really just the last one. The last one was great. Okay, so just the last Metroid game is the other yeah. one. I need to and pick that's up. a that's a fifteen to twenty hour play to to beat it just one time. Oh, good. Me. So, oh, okay, that's that sounds fun. So and so, I'm still sitting here looking at this tiny baby hands controller so what, what was pro, the controller pro, i need to get pro controller pro controller okay that'll yeah. be i guess my next it's basically thing. just an xbox controller but but for nintendo i say i've never had an xbox so this is gonna eh, be fun. The, the only difference between the xbox let's say and the playstation is that the the xbox controller is slightly meatier and the um 
the sticks are not on a level horizontal plane. So the, the left stick is a little bit above the, the uh, right stick on the horizontal plane. So yeah, that's my thing. I'm just looking at a, at a thing with tons of buttons on it. It's intimidating because I'm, I'm old and feeble and I don't know how such technology works anymore. <laughs> All right. Have a great night, man. Thanks doctor. Um, I, I'm not going to get to everyone tonight. Um, Alex, chat little red i'm sorry i'm gonna have to boot you guys um i plan on doing a few more episodes next week so please do come back i'll make sure alex chat little red if you guys are up towards the front um i will uh make sure to bump you guys up so i do apologize but we're gonna end with vanessa who's a semi-regular and someone who gave me a summer correction and I forgot to read it on the podcast, but it was regarding a uh, St. Louis prosecutor <laughs> letting someone who's on video firing guns in the air or into a parade or at people and they let her go. And so I thought I thought that that's what she's here for. But um, I just wanted to say, Alex, Chet, Little Red, thanks, guys, for being in the queue. Thanks for listening. Um, but we're going to end on Vanessa. Uh, Vanessa, all the pressure. Uh, well, it's been a hell of a week, so I was just going to talk about hockey, if that's okay. No, not interested in it anymore. Oh, oh you're sour because your team's out? Uh, no, because I, I'm... They were so injured for the year. Like, nothing went well, and now their captain is going to miss another year. Probably he's never going to play again. Um, I'm still watching the playoffs. It just comes yeah. down to now... Which of which I'm I'm saying that Florida and Seattle are going to be the final teams because nothing fucking matters anymore. Like nothing about these playoffs matters. It's it's a really crazy how the Avalanche, who you know won the cup last year, did I think they were going to repeat? No, because it's so fucking hard. But the Lightning, who won back to backs, they're gone. Boston, yeah. who had the best regular season of any NHL team in history. And I mean, points, goals, you, they are, they are not even arguably, they are statistically the best hockey team that has ever played a regular season in the history of the sport dating back to like 1812 or whatever. And they're gone. <laughs> like There is like, and the, I don't, I think the Maple Leafs might be out tonight too. I don't know because I'm spending my time here. Um, um, I, I basically are. accepted the fact that it's going to be Florida and Seattle and Florida is going to sweep Seattle because nothing matters about these playoffs and this cup isn't going to count anyway. So, but go ahead. What, what did you want to talk about, about your fire sale, St. Louis blues who have nothing left? Did I actually kick her? What did I just do? Vanessa, come back up. There we go. That's okay. Um, no, the Leafs actually just tied the game up uh, with like a minute and a half to go. So they're going to overtime right now. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I I think Florida might pull it out, though. I really don't want Seattle to win. So they they fulfilled their purpose that I, I wanted them to do, and that was take out your team, and now they just need to die. If you believe, If you believe in conspiracies, if you believe in sports scripts and sports conspiracies – the sport, to me, the conspiracy, if Bettman is out back there pulling the strings, he's going for an Edmonton Oilers, Toronto Maple I mean, I don't know. I think Florida, I think Florida looks pretty good, though. They were my second pick to 
Yeah, I've now picked Florida because if you if you knock off Boston, you can knock out anybody. Period. Two, Florida last year won the President's Trophy, and they got bounced in the first round. And people with three or four years of hockey knowledge know that when the Tampa Bay Lightning won the President's Trophy, they uh oh, somebody is saying Florida and OT. So, oh, you spoiled it for me because I'm streaming. So I'm like five minutes. I'm not spoiling anything. I'm just reading comments. I don't know if they want it or not. Um, The reason why I think Florida is now due is because because the Tampa Bay Lightning won the President's Trophy. They got bounced by the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round. And then they came back and they won two cups in a row. That kind of looks like what Florida is now doing. So Florida, they win the President's Trophy. They get bounced in the first round last year. I forget who they I forget who bounced them, but they got bounced out in the first round. And now they're gonna come back and they're gonna win two cups. And they're probably gonna end up like beating the least interesting team in the Seattle Kraken. And they're gonna sweep them. That's what's gonna happen. Kraken are gonna win three series in seven games, and then they're gonna go to the Stanley Cup final, they're gonna get fucking swept because nothing matters. Mm, I don't know. I mean Seattle's pretty good. I just I don't like their team. So it's I can't I could not name I, until that series started. I could not name four players on that team. It's similar to Carolina, New Jersey. I could not name four players on the New Jersey Devils. My pick at the beginning of the year. So if I had if I had a team left that I'm rooting for, I picked uh, I picked Colorado and the Carolina Hurricanes to go to the Stanley Cup final. And so if I was picking one team that I'm still hanging in there with, it's the Carolina Hurricanes. They look pretty good. It's it's bittersweet for me because I'm watching the remnants of our cup team on other teams that are in the finals now. And I'm in Canada, people, people that we gave away for fucking draft picks, they're in the playoffs on another team. And I'm just like, God damn it, this sucks. Yeah, you're you're. Uh, I think it's your Blues are gonna you're gonna be the new Chicago Blackhawks for about the next seven or eight years. Don't say that, no. The thing about St. Louis is St. Louis had the most playoff appearances without winning a cup until they actually won one. And he won one with pieces, thanks to the Colorado Avalanche, by the way. Um, uh-uh. And now, what's funny to me is I don't really watch basketball, but now you have the Denver Nuggets, who are the team with the most playoff appearances without a championship. And it looks like that... Um, I still call them my Nuggets, even though I, I don't watch basketball or I don't root for the Nuggets or whatever like that. But eh, now I am. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 if you want to be conspiratorial, Gary Bettman is rooting for an Oilers Maple Leafs Stanley Cup final because either way, the Leafs win and they end their the longest drought in professional sports. If you want to call a Canadian team being part of our professional sports. In professional sports, I think it's 57 years without a championship or the player that they want the most, Connor McDavid, hosting the Stanley Cup. They, they want Connor McDavid to be the new face of the NHL. And so that's if you want to be conspiratorial. That's... Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Um, the suburb correction, I, I haven't even listened to your podcast episode today, but yeah, uh, I was just going to say that those people weren't just firing into a crowd in St. Louis at the Cinco de Mayo. They actually shot someone like hospitalized someone and Kim Gardner, the circuit attorney, um, which is like the equivalent. To She's DA, on her way out by the way. And she is, what, what is the case? It had to do with, 
uh, a teenager or a minor being released for a charge and then he stole a car and he hit a female which she was a high school volleyball player she so the the high school volleyball player was in town for a tournament i think she was from a school in kentucky and the perpetrator was someone that had been arrested for armed robbery i believe uh like a year ago and were released and given a ankle monitor, the man had violated the terms of his um, bond f- like 50 something times, went off out of the house. He wasn't supposed to leave the house. He's basically in house arrest. The circuit attorney blamed the judge and said the judge is supposed to step in and do something. The judge said, no, ma'am, you are supposed to file something with the court saying this person has violated the terms of their bond. So anyway, this guy's out walking free. He steals a car, runs a red light, goes, I don't know, he's going like 50 and a 30 or something, hits another car. The second car ran into this poor girl who was walking down the street with her family. She gets pinned between two cars, loses her legs, sadly, um, had to be amputated. She didn't even know it happened because she was in a coma while this was all going on. And at that point, our Missouri attorney general said, all right, I've had enough. I'm filing a um, I'm filing paperwork to have you removed from office. And they went back and forth. And she her she had people quit from her office that said she's become too political. They don't want to work for her anymore. They've got maybe four or five assistant circuit attorneys. And each one of them has a caseload of like 100 cases. They're working themselves to the bone. She doesn't even show up for certain cases. And that was like the final straw right before she resigned a couple of weeks ago. She was supposed to show up to a case, uh, a murder trial, a trial date that had been set for months and no one from her office showed up. And the judge, the judge held her in contempt. And at that point she was like, all right, I'm going to resign, but she's not resigning until June 1st. So this, this whole business of her, office dropping charges on this shooter it's still her this is still her she is still in charge this is her call and and yeah and she's basically being forced out so she's gone and yeah so i know i kind of like played a little bit fast and loose with that but this i think it was Zed jelani who said something great about like gun control which is like if you're not going to prosecute gun crimes then what's the fucking point of all of this yeah you can have you can have strict prosecution of gun violations hello hunter biden or you let people out who commit gun crime and then you sit here and you lament not one more put an orange square next to your name on uh, Twitter or what have you. And I, I th- I'm pretty sure that was Zed who said that. And it's such a great point that he's right where, ah, oh, Jesus, do it again, Vanessa. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting four buttons. Good. Are you practicing for um, your but... uh, weak remote controller or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still looking at this thing and I'm like, this thing has like 12 buttons on it. What the fuck? You know what? They're, they're really... They they're very intimidating how small they are, um, but you you will get used to it. I promise. It's, it's, it it's looks weird. like it's about the same shape and size as a PS5 controller. So I'm not I I'm not sitting here like working buttons or anything. Like that, but I'm just when I was unpackaging it, I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, this this thing is tiny. Like 
How yeah. the fuck am I supposed to it's for, hold it's, this thing? It's like a fur child, but you, I promise you'll get used to it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know how you, how the political left and Democrats and media can square. We need to, we need to cut down on shootings, not one more, uh, no more guns. No, we must enforce. And then it's like, but your prosecutors are the ones letting people out of jail on gun crime charges where, like you said, they shot someone like it's yeah. like, and you're out of like, whatever, you're just out on bond. Um, I have one curious question. You you can speak for the rest of the female population tonight, and then we're going to wrap this up. Oh, God. Okay. Did you see the photos of Daniel Penny in custody in the suit and with his jerry curl and the mustache? Um, Actually, yes, I did. He's not terribly, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of got where Is I'm going. Is that your question? Is it, on a scale of one to ten, would because I'm looking at this dude and I'm like, he's in shape. Obviously, he's a marine. Yeah, he has the weird like John Holmes hairstyle. He's got the stash. He's got that sure. jaw. Is there is there a and this is just something I thought of like like watching the photos of him and the suit and everything like that. I'm like this this dude looks like. Where is he? And I don't know if uh, if you've been cavorting with your other Twitter sisters or whatever. Where is he on the one to ten wood scale with women on Twitter? Um, so I haven't really seen anyone make any explicit <laughs> comments about him. And I think most people and I I thought about popping a tweet off being like, is he cute? But then I didn't want people to be like, what is wrong with you? So I was like, well, I'll of course, just, that's I'll why we're that doing it here. I will save that one in my drafts folder. But, he okay, looks like a hockey player. I I know that's he looks like Matthew great. Kachuk. If we're going to get real honest with it, yeah. the The only thing I would say is I swear I saw a, a story that said he was twenty four. He does not look twenty four. He look he is twenty four. He does not look twenty four. But he's a marine. He like I mean, he's 34. a guy who's in shape. He. I mean, yeah. The thing that I noticed about the photos of him is I didn't realize how big he was because the the video he's on his back. And he no, looks I'm like not a little trying guy to make light of the situation. I mean, I'm kind of am, but I'm just trying to find absurdity and absurdity. And then you see like the NYPD cops with their badges on their jacket and they're taking him into custody. And I'm like, that's a big fucking guy. Like, he, it, yeah, he looks like a hockey player. Tall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I would just say is I he's he's not unattractive. It's the, the only thing I noticed is like. <laughs> And this is going to sound really mean. And this is no, just... we're getting, we're all getting canceled for this final take. This okay, one's great. being clipped by Media Matters. Perfect. Um, I was just going to say he's kind of like a hod, hodgepodge of like things that are like attractive but don't necessarily go together. Like I like the mustache and the facial hair, and I do like his hair. I don't know that putting them together is very attractive, though. You so... know what I mean? So you either like, have the cherry curl and remain without the stash, or you keep the stash and shave the head, or whatever. Yeah, or just I don't know. He just looks kind of like he's got borderline like Hobbit hair, but he's got like the nice facial hair, and it's just it's throwing me off a little bit. I, it's weirding me out. Uh, yeah, this ended as about as horribly as it possibly could. So, <laughs> hey, I was just curious because I'm looking at I'm looking at my Twitter feed and he's in custody. And I'm like, that's a this is a pretty well-built dude. And I was like, I'm kind of, he feels like a guy that Twitter girls at least are whispering under their breath. Like, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I can guarantee you that there are people like me that are like, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of <laughs> looking, but they do not want to be the person that sends that tweet out. 
and and he's willing and and, and oh, there's Susan Huff. He's a cutie pie, and he's willing <laughs> to stand up to subway violence. So that's probably the winning yes. characteristic. Yes. Well, Very we all just so. got fucked. Well, we all just got fucking canceled for praising praising a convicted murderer now. So um, this is he's probably a good place to end alleged, it. Alleged, alleged. Come on. Yeah, it is alleged. <laughs> Nope, we're done. You can quit. We're oh, done. Okay. We're all, all right, we're all losing our career. We're all losing our careers over this one. All right. Have a good weekend. All right. Bye bye. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're toast. Um, this has been episode uh one hundred and one. I want to say one oh one now, but that's not proper. Seaman's new silly season we can review. Uh, I wanted to thank my callers. I know we didn't get through a ton of them, but I was. Uh, I wanted to say thank you to Katie, who's a teacher in Texas. I wanted to say thank you to Megan and, and her dumb dopey dog avatar. Um, again, that's kind of one of the reasons I like doing this. I like hearing from people who are experiencing things that aren't in a national narrative. We don't get to see in media because these people aren't represented in media. Um, and so, and then also I'd like to apologize for those of you guys that I had, that I had to boot Alex, who I know is a regular and a few other regulars were just, again, running short on time. It has nothing to do with the fact that I have an unboxed switch. I'm going to have to charge this thing overnight. I have no idea how this works. And apparently I can't work a controller that is like the size of a, of a rocks glass. So again, thank you to callers. Thank you uh, for again, Katie and my teachers who were very informative about what's happening. And again, I, I do think the border situation is a bigger deal at least than what's being made of. And I think that that's the narrative right now. And it's something that we're going to have to stay tuned for. Um, I'm Stephen Miller. I'll be back on Substack on Tuesday. I'm going to try to maybe be on call in Monday. We'll see. I'm scheduled to be on Kennedy Tuesday, but who knows given these days. So again, thank you all. Thanks to my callers. Uh, we're, we're all fucking canceled for this final take on on how cute the alleged sub, the murder of the beloved Michael Jackson subway rider is. But that's what we're here for. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your weekends. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, take care. Cheers. <laughs>